Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being, reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Server Member Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Das, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to Dale Borglum's Healing at the Edge. We are very happy to share with you Dale's profound insight and open heart. Please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Dale to support this podcast. A few months ago, I mentioned a study that I found very provocative in which they determined that if you're mindful of stress, the body doesn't get inflamed in the same way that you do with when you have unmindful stress. And we know that inflammation leads to all kinds of difficult bodily symptoms, that inflammation is the precursor to disease in many cases. So it isn't it isn't stress that causes illness, it's unmindful stress that causes illness. And just yesterday I read an article in the New York Times that took this notion one step further and I thought was quite remarkable. And what they found with a study of 30,000 Americans, that those with high levels of stress were 43% more likely to die if they believed that stress was bad for their health. There were other people that had high levels of stress that didn't believe that stress was bad for them, and they were less likely to die than a control group that that included people who had very low levels of stress. Being aware of your stress, and then beyond that, not seeing it as a bad thing, but it's just energy, is 
better than not even having stress at all. What the author of this article in the New York Times started talking about is there's a, a three-step process to being with stress in a way that you can use it instead of being caught up in it. The first step is to acknowledge your stress. Be mindful. Acknowledge your stress. What does it feel like in the body? Don't make up a story about it. The second level of, of working with stress is owning or welcoming the stress. Open your heart. Open your heart of compassion. When we deny or avoid our stress, we might be denying or disconnecting ourselves from the things that we value and treasure the most. Now, if you're really thinking about our healing paradigm, we've kind of just talked about the first two steps of the tantric three-step, haven't we? You become aware of something, you feel it in your body, then you open your heart to it, you welcome it. And then the third step here in the New York Times is use your stress to achieve your goals and connect more deeply with the things that matter most. And in a way, this is really the essential nature of Tantra. One of the main slogans of Tantra is that we use difficulty as an opportunity. We see difficulty not as a problem, but pure energy that has a bigger opportunity than just small difficulty. That the, that the juicier the difficult emotion, the more potential there is for using it to awaken. Basically, right now, as we're living through this pandemic, there are a lot of people who are feeling a great deal of stress. Uncertainty almost always leads to stress. But the question then, does stress have to lead to anxiety and feelings that something bad is going to happen? Can we feel uncertainty and be excited about it. Use this as an opportunity for awakening. My guru Maharaji said, you have to understand the mother of God. You have to understand the female principle in order to fully awaken, to realize God. The mother is this energy. It's, it's life. It's the stuff out there. Can we have this relationship with earth, with physicality? Can we devour the energy? So by, by going deeply into the spacious heart, letting the heart be really open like we just did in the meditation? Can we surrender as an approach to life that is having a love for life, a sense of romance and openness rather than a sense of poverty? Is it possible that we approach uncertainty not with this feeling of poverty and inadequacy that, oh, because it's uncertain and I'm an inadequate person, this is going to be a big problem. I might get sick. I might get broke. Or can we approach it, okay, here's uncertainty, and I have this full relationship with the energy of my life, with, with what's going on here, and, and consequently not feel inadequate or unable to work with uncertainty, that it doesn't need to slip into anxiety. It doesn't need to slip into, I'm going to become sick here, and that once again, as the, as the study was showing with 30,000 people, that if you believe that stress is going to cause illness, you're 43% more likely to die than if you don't believe that. And if you don't believe that it's going to cause illness, you're less likely to die than somebody that even has relatively low uh, stress. So we're using the excitement of life, the, the stress of life, 
the adverse condition as a way of creating a, a fruitful and rich life experience. So we're exchanging the fixation on the content of our experience to a more subtle fixation on the energy, the, the aliveness, the sacredness in each moment, regardless of what the content is. Even without a pandemic, life is uncertain, right? Even, even before COVID, I mean, we think I've got my house and I've got my car and I've got my retirement accounts or wherever you are in your life. So I don't have to worry. But we, we, we know from experience that an illness can come, a friend can die, a financial setback can come very unexpectedly. Beginning to do this practice, not with the big thing like, oh, the doctor says, I'm sorry, I've really got to tell you something horrible here. But these, these minor stressors, these minor anxieties, transmuting that into this aliveness, this awakeness to the energy of the situation. I was just kind of excited that this study that the New York Times reported on with 30,000 subjects is kind of validating the tantric three-step that we've been talking about for a couple of years. But secondly, it's talking about it in very psychologically accessible ways, and, and particularly in terms of working with stress, which everybody has stress. And stress, according to the dictionary, is a state of mental or emotional strain or tension resulting from adverse or very demanding circumstances. So there's some sense of tension because of adverse or difficult circumstances. And for a lot of people, just living during pandemic is an adverse circumstance. The point is that that quality of Tantra comes out of the previous stage of this wide open heart that is trusting to get to that point of uh, you can feel stress and you welcome it. It really requires going through those stages of being able to be with the stress without getting caught in it, with just noticing it, here's what it feels like, and then opening your heart. Once I can get to that point where the heart is really, really big and spacious, then this notion of, okay, here's a stressful moment. I can feel it in my body. I can open to it. And it's just the energy of the thing. There's a sacredness to all of it. Because my heart is so open, I can, I can go beyond good and bad, pure and impure, fame, gain, loss, shame, all those different dualities, I can be with the essential quality of the moment, the sacred quality, the sense of beingness that is easiest to notice in the gap. It's not that it goes away during the, during the non-gap. It's always there. But it's easiest to notice during that place in between, right? So that when you're thinking something we or talking or tasting or you know something like that usually we get fixated on the content of experience would it be possible to be listening right now as if that were the gap <laughs> right as if if the hearing or this whole life actually is the is the gap it's the bardo between the bardo of death and the the moment of birth that this whole thing is a gap. We can just treat it all as that, that, that sacred quality of beingness that you began to notice that was so awakening for Barbara in that, in that space between two listenings or two thinkings or whatever it might happen to be. If the mind tends to try to figure it out and gets a little bit 
anxious or frustrated that it can't quite grasp it, that might be a good thing because it's not a mental process. It's a process of surrender into the nature of things. If you said, oh, now I've got it, I can write this down and I can do it whenever I want, then you're probably only looking at the surface of things. But just going back to that momentary experience you had during the meditation of resting in the openness and just play with that. Maybe it's the gap between going from the kitchen to the bathroom or the bedroom to the front yard or the gap between putting a fork full of food in your mouth and putting it back the, the fork back down to the place. A particularly interesting moment is the very experience at the complete end of the out-breath. You're noticing the sensations. Just notice the sensations in your body, uh, down in your belly. Your abdomen is rising and falling as you're breathing. Rises as you breathe in, falls as you breathe out. And at the very end of the out-breath, What does that feel like? The end of the letting go of the breath. My experience is that something almost dies a little bit. There's, there's a, uh, uh. I don't know if the sound makes it quite, quite understandable, but there's a, there's a very interesting uh, mind moment, temporary, very temporary experience, very almost instantaneous feeling of, the end, just before the gap begins, just as the gap is beginning. In the way we're practicing dying, we're practicing dying into the spaciousness. We're practicing dying into something that is always there rather than being fixated on all the stuff that's changing all the time. So in the meditation or in the conversation, we've pretty much been talking about just working with emotions and not talking so much about what happens next. Do we actually do something about what we're feeling? So we're, we've been talking about allowing things to be there, feeling it, opening our heart to it, noticing the sacred nature of things. If you're with the stress in the way that the article or the, this tantric notion really is suggesting, then very likely there will be some action coming out of that that is the appropriate action the dharmic action, the thing that the, the situation is calling for. That's a case-by-case -case situation. You can't really predict whether if somebody's really bothering you, you just be with your irritation and work with that. Or if you be with your irritation and work with it and say, I want you to deal with this. This is my house and this is not, this is not working for me. Here's the way I'm feeling. And I just want you to know about this, but if it keeps going like this, then something's got to change. Yes, irritation is just as much God, is just as much wholeness as non-irritation from an absolute sense. But from a practical sense, if you're going around being irritated all the time and you're lost in it, which we tend to do, we tend to get lost in that sort of feeling, then it, uh, it creates stress that's often hard to work with on an ongoing basis. We get tight, we get contracted. It pulls us out of the heart. If, if you can be in the heart the way we were suggesting and be, and be irritated, nothing wrong with that. If your heart is really open and irritation arises, 
it will probably arise and pass away really quickly rather than having a long tail, having a lot of residue where you're dumping unhealthy chemicals in your bloodstream for hours or days at a time. You're, the person you're interacting with does something, you're irritated, you notice that, and then you respond to it or not, and you move on to the next moment. I mean, to me, this is such a remarkable thing in the New York Times that stress is not bad. If, you, if you're able to be with your stress and not see it as a bad thing, as an unhealthy thing, that it can be an awakening thing, something that you can use moving forward in your life. I've been really extremely busy being a trustee for the trust of my friend who just died. I have been talking usually hours a day with bankers and lawyers and real estate agents and getting dozens of emails and texts and phone calls almost every day. And at first I thought, oh my God, it's the pandemic. I would really love to be able to meditate more, to walk outside more. I'm so lucky I have this natural environment right outside my front door. And I was resisting and resenting all of the, the detailed financial thinking and working that I had to do. And just a few days ago, it kind of shifted where I was like, there were so many things that I was keeping it all in my mind and something just broke open. And I was just with the energy of it. Rather, there was no resistance. It was, it was the same as meditating. It just happened to be talking to lawyers. <laughs> it's like, it, it was, it was, all of a sudden something was awake and the energy just started pouring through in a different way. And it took me a while to get there. It's not something that, I mean, it took some resistance to get to that point. So maybe we start with something that's not talking to lawyers and bankers all day long, but some more minor stressor, something that's bothering you. And can you, can you be with that? Can you be with it in your body? Can you open your heart to it? And can you then begin to see it as something that you can use? Can you use that energy that... In this article, they had this great sentence that I have closed up. Hang on one second. Here it is. Here's the way the psychologist suggested we, we get into the using your heart part of it. I'm stressed out about fill in the blank because I deeply care about fill in the blank. Okay, so I, I was stressed out about talking to financial people all day long because I care about being calmer and happier and wanting to be present. If I really start looking at it, am I denying or disconnecting myself by, by getting lost in the stress? Can I be connected and alive even though I'm talking to the banker? And just in closing, just the last thing I'd like to say, I think this is a really very timely discussion because most people are under stresses that are new, that they have not been feeling in their lives. This is a different world. And it's, it's really never going to come quite back to the way it was before. It'll get better. It'll get a little more familiar to the way it used to be. But uh, there is this deep, deep level of uncertainty. What's going to happen next to my body, to my bank account, to my friendships? And this notion of stress not being unhealthy unless you categorize it that way, that it's basic energy, it's aliveness. 
And in Tantra, the more juicy and the more difficult the, the emotion is, the more potential there is for awakening and transformation. When I was in India, I lived there three different times, and it was it, so interesting to see people come there for the first time, and because it's a it's a very different world, and some people were wanting it to be like it is in America, but slightly more romantic and exciting, and they were incredibly frustrated. They just had a very very hard time. And some people just surrender to, here's the way it is. This is like a new world, a new environment. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm open to being with it. And they just loved India, right? So, I mean, it's like traveling. And what we're talking about is we're traveling to pandemic land in a way. And can we use the uncertainty? Can we use the unknown as this alive energy that helps us awaken? Mm -hmm. 